Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, of course, and this is episode number 42, number 42, and uh, I'm so excited to be chatting again today with my brother, Tolian Chavigian. We've had him on um, a couple of times on this podcast, and uh, today I'm excited to share another uh, little conversation that we've had together, sort of talking about um, honesty and transparency and uh, giving grace to those who are vulnerable, especially uh, those in the ministry. I think it's not sort of uh, hyperbole to say that you know our society is it's obsessed with with strength and and showing feats of uh, endurance and and physical strength and whatnot and I think that similar that same type of mindset of has sort of seeped into our Americanized gospel uh, to where we sort of ostracize those people who are weak and who are vulnerable and we uplift and exalt the strong and I think. Um, that is sort of a fallacy in the way we do ministry, and I also think that uh, it goes against what the gospel engenders. And so I think that's what me and Tolian uh, strive to talk about here in this episode, uh, talking about how we can be honest with ourselves, how the gospel frees us to be transparent, and how the gospel and how Jesus himself frees us to be weak. Uh, I hope you will enjoy this this episode. Before we get going, of course, today's episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, which inspires lifelong discipleship and helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word. To find out more about the Christian Standard Bible, be sure to go to csbible.com. Now, for Tolian. Let's kind of transition now into kind of what we want to talk about today. Um, which is sort of the ideas of transparency and truthfulness and some of our, you know, deep, uh, deep besetting fears, especially as it relates to those who are in the church. Um, I think we would be accurate in saying that we live and we worship and we minister in a current climate of Christianity that's driven by ideas of strength and and power and competition, I would say. Um, But I think, you know, kind of as we were talking about beforehand, um, that in this world uh, where the strong are are celebrated oftentimes, there's not a lot of room for people to be transparent or to be honest with their brokenness. And um, 
uh, you know, I've only been in full-time vocational ministry, if you want to use those terminolo- that terminology, for a short amount of time. But even in that short amount of time, it's easy to see um, this idea of, of, of no room for vulnerability or transparency in church leadership just being um, uh, popularized. Where it, it, there's kind of no room for brokenness there. Can you kind of speak to that, Tolian? Yeah, I mean, thankfully there are exceptions. Um, you know, my wife and I are in a church here on the southwest coast of Florida, a small Lutheran church where, man, you know, broken people are welcomed and uh, and they are helped and they are nurtured. And, uh, you know, so I'm I'm very, very grateful not only for our church, but for other churches like our church that uh, welcome people who have crashed and burned welcome people who have bottomed out and who encourage truthfulness and transparency and who recognize that we are all broken people living in a broken world with other broken people. But it's sad to me that that tends to be the exception and not the rule. And I, you know, I have my wife, Stacy and I uh, have spent a lot of time actually over the course of the last year interacting with people in recovery, uh, recovery from all sorts of things. I mean, um, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, all sorts of other kinds of addictions and whatnot. And I got to be honest, being around these people and listening to these people is unbelievably refreshing to me. Unbelievably refreshing to me. I have heard more honesty and transparency and bona fide self-awareness coming from people in recovery uh, than I have in many cases from people that are inside the church, church leadership and otherwise. Um, and so I, uh, I, my, we, one particular trip that we went on uh, was to Pontiac, Michigan. And if anybody knows anything about me at all, uh, being a sort of a uh, South Floridian to the core who absolutely despises cold weather, um, I, going to Pontiac, Michigan was a miracle in and of itself that I would even accept this invitation. But I was invited to spend three days there at a place that was formerly known as the Pontiac Rescue Mission. Uh, they have since changed the name to Grace Center of Hope and their associated church, Grace Gospel Fellowship. And my friend, Pastor Kent Clark and his wife, Pam, they've been there for over 30 years, and they have been faithfully ministering to severely broken and desperate people who have completely bottomed out to to things like drug addiction, alcoholism, prostitution. I mean, you name it. They have given their lives to serving the most challenging people who are in the most desperate places imaginable. and so when uh, Pastor Kent asked me to come and spend the weekend uh, speaking to those in the program, I immediately said yes. Now, little caveat here. <laughs> um, three or four years ago, that would not have been the case. I would not have said yes. Um, because back then I was getting more invitations to speak than I was able to accept. Life was very busy. I had to be really picky about what I said yes to. And as my assistant and I would work through the speaker request forms, we developed criteria that would help me decide what to accept and what to decline. And the criterion was basically pretty simple. It was 
I said yes to those places and events that would have the most far-reaching impact. So large events in strategic cities, big fundraisers for important causes and ministries, conferences for leaders and pastors, college campuses, and, and so on, were the kinds of things that I would say yes to because they had the potential for reaching the most people with the most potential influence. It made sense. So a rescue mission in Pontiac, Michigan, especially in the cold months, would not have met my criteria. But things have drastically changed. I don't get as many invitations as I used to, not even close, and that's understandable. I hurt and betrayed a lot of people because of my sin and selfishness, and I ruined my own credibility and trustworthiness. Um, and so it's it's fair, and I, I accept that. So the fact that I would be asked to speak anywhere to anybody is an undeserved gift from God. But what was particularly interesting about this recent trip to Pontiac is how clearly God has turned the tables on my criteria. Because before I crashed and burned, I chose where to go based on the impact I would have. But now God is choosing where I go based on the impact it will have on me. And spending the weekend with people who are desperate, people who know how much forgiveness they need, people who, like me, struggle daily with guilt and shame and regret because of the decisions they have made and the people that they have hurt, spending time with people like that has been life giving. These people in Pontiac comprehend something profound about their own messiness. They comprehend something profound about God's mercy as a result. And because of that, they had a far greater impact on me than I had on them. I, I was amazed when I, we were on the plane flying home. I, I told Stacy, I said, man, it is so refreshing to be around people who know they're bad rather than people who think they're good. So refreshing. Um, and, you know, what I've been learning is that, you know, my success connected me to people, but my failures are connecting me with people in ways that my success never did. And that we may impress people with our successes, but it's our failures that actually bond us with people. And I, I felt bonded to these people and, and everybody else, um, you know, who I've been in touch with, who is currently in recovery. We, Stacy and I have lots of friends who are recovering alcoholics and recovering drug addicts. Some of them have been sober for 20 years, 25 years, uh, but they never, ever lose their own sense of desperation and need. And they recognize just how much truth about themselves and transparency can set them free. And so they hold on to it. They cling to it. Um, and I've, you know, I've said to, you know, lots of people, unfortunately, the church is the only recovery institution in all of society that does not want former junkies leading the way. Because what these recovery institutions have figured out is that the best people to reach those who are bottoming out is someone who is bottomed out. Um, and so it was just a, it was just a really, really good time. And, uh, being around people like that has caused me to long for the church to become increasingly lit like that. Really? I mean, I, I mean, I was just, 
reminded again and again when we were there that brokenness and desperation are a gift, that the best distributors of grace and forgiveness are those who know, who really know by experience just how badly they need both. Um, and so I, you know, I'm, I can only hope that the church increasingly becomes like that. Uh, but I'm kind of, you know, pessimistic about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's important to say, too, that when you mention that failure is a gift, we are not, and I can say this because I know you, we are not saying that we should go out and look for ways to fail. Uh, just like the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6, um, do we go on sinning so that grace may abound? And he says, basically, heck no. Like, what are you talking about? That's You've missed the entire point of what I'm trying to say. But like you've said before and like we've talked about, and I think it's very true, is that failure in and of itself is not something that is good, but God brings good out of it. And I think those are two very important distinctions that we have to recognize and realize, especially as it comes into play in the church, a place where, ironically, as you've stated, um, <laughs> we've kind of ostracized the very people that the church is for, um, which is kind of ironic to me, very sad, a paradox, that the church is a place for sinners, and yet we oftentimes run the sinners out. Um, and, I, and that's probably a generalized statement, but to a large degree, there's many people who have felt that ostracism, that exile from church. And it's kind of a sad state of affairs when your main demographic of people you're trying to reach are the people that you're actually um, running out of your doors. And actually, that's uh, to bring up another Bible passage, that's exactly what Jesus is telling the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, where he goes on that long rant of telling the Pharisees what they're like, like broods of vipers and all sorts of other colorful metaphors. And he even says that you're closing the doors on these people and you're focusing on the lighter matters of the law when the weightier matters of mercy are being forgotten and neglected. And I think that speaks to what you are referencing here. Yeah, that's a really good passage. And I totally agree with you that, um, you know, no one is saying, well, I know you and I aren't saying, there may be some people out there who are saying this, but we certainly aren't saying, uh, go out and fail. For one, failure makes life miserable. Okay. I, I'm a living testimony to the fact that, um, my failure did not make life lighter. It did not make life simpler. Uh, I still live with the consequences of my failure and my sin, and those aren't going away. Uh, I still have to deal with the fact that I broke up my home, my family, and the impact that has on my children, that I, that I hurt a church, that I hurt other people. Um, I mean, that's all miserable stuff to live with, and I do not recommend it to anybody. Uh, so no one is uh, commending failure. I think what we are saying is um, when we do fail, like you referenced in Romans 6, uh, should we sin so that grace may abound? Absolutely not. When we sin, does grace abound? Absolutely. And those are two truths 
that cannot cancel one another out. We hold them together. We don't choose one over the others. And I think the reason it's important, um, and I remember hearing this years ago, and I don't remember who said it, um, but someone once said that if we're not attracting the same kinds of people Jesus attracted, we're probably not preaching the same message Jesus preached. And, um, and I think that's very telling because, uh, at least in my experience, growing up in church and, and you know being in church basically from the time I was born, um, churches tend to attract the kinds of people who ran from Jesus, and churches tend to, uh, and the people who actually ran to Jesus, rarely darken the door of a church. And I know that that's true because I was a pastor for many years and worked hard against that trend. But I can also remember sort of bailing on Christianity as a whole when I was about 14, 15 years old, because along the way, in the churches that I went to and the Christian schools that I went to, along the way, even though this was never explicitly stated, it was strongly implied that Christianity is for good people. And I knew I wasn't good. So I concluded that Christianity must therefore not be for me. And it took years and years and years before I finally came to the understanding that God loves and uses bad people because bad people are all that there are. And I think sometimes we think that goodness, however we want to define that, is what qualifies us to have a powerful impact on people. But the truth of the matter is that none of us are good, and our impact on people becomes powerful when we honestly acknowledge our badness and we live out of our brokenness. In fact, and I'm, I've told you this before, um, but I'm discovering now that the more honest and open and transparent I am about my fears and failures, the deeper it's connecting with people. It is without question our failures and not our successes where God's grace shines the brightest through us into the lives of others. I mean, every person I have ever known who has crashed and burned as a result come to terms with their own powerlessness has taught me something about God's grace that I would have never known otherwise. Um, and again, that's not to encourage failure. That's to acknowledge failure. Uh, you know, when the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, my friend David Zoll says, but that doesn't prevent us from comparing distances. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that we tend to do that. And um, the worst advice I ever got in seminary, Ever. The worst advice I've ever gotten, but it came from a seminary classroom that was being taught by a visiting professor in like a church ministry class. And he stood up and said, um, never confess your sin to your people as the pastor because they need someone to look up to. And I remember at the time I was, you know, 24, 25 years old. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I will never confess. Well, it took years before I unlearned that uh, and realized just how bad advice that was. But because that has been kind of the M.O. for so many generations, uh, we've created places that um, don't invite transparency. I mean, church 
or let's just broaden it and say the Christian community should be the safest rather than the scariest place for people to confess their sins and secrets. And most people, if you ask them, um, you know, is church the first or last place you'd run to if your deepest secrets were exposed? Almost everybody I've talked to has said the last. And I don't know how to fix that. I just know that that's the impression that the Christian community has given. Uh, and it's sad to me. Yeah, me too, Tolian. And I think going kind of back a little bit to what you were speaking about, how goodness has become a prerequisite for church attendance or uh, or Christianity at large. Um, to me, I think I, the first thing I thought of was just how uh, incorrectly we read and interpret Galatians 5, where we come to the end and Paul starts describing these fruits of the Spirit. And I don't know where or how or why, but for some reason, the church decided that these fruits of the Spirit, and it's right in the name, uh, were not, were actually something that pre are prescriptions for Christian for Christians or church attenders, instead of descriptions, that these are things that describe us and how we are to look. And the only way we are able to be described by those things, goodness, faith, love, all those, I, I forget them now, <laughs> but um, the only way we're able to be described by those things is by going back to the very fact that we aren't that way <laughs> and that the spirit is right in the name is the one who develops these uh, fruits in us as we more consistently and constantly and um, uh, continually go back to the fact that we are broken people that Jesus has rescued and made new. And I, I think that's kind of something uh, that has um, plagued the church. And I would say, especially some uh, of our youth ministries for quite a while is the fact that uh, we, we teach these as if they are uh, prescriptions of what makes a good church kid. <laughs> Everything we are saying in terms of diagnosis regarding the Christian community and how there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of room for uh, failure, for weakness, for brokenness, uh, for sin in that regard. Um, we want to, we want to sort of, this is our way of trying to bridge that gap or to fill that void. Um, we're not a church. We don't want to be a church. Uh, we love church and people should be in church. Um, but there is, you know, in many cases for a lot of people, there's a disconnect between the raw realities of their life and what they feel safe expressing inside the Christian community. And a lot of times people are, you know, pretending that they're better than they are. They're wearing masks. They don't feel safe telling their deepest secrets to their Christian friends. They just don't. They, they fear that they will be abandoned or rejected or looked down on. And, um, and that's just, that's a trend that, that is, in my opinion, the primary reason that it's much harder to get uh, millennials or let's just say anybody who's 40 and younger into church 
the one thing I love about millennials, we can talk about the pluses and minuses of the millennial generation, but the one thing I love about it is they absolutely demand transparency. <laughs> they have no time whatsoever uh, for fakeness, for uh, a life that is highly produced. Um, they, they really want reality. Uh, at least they crave it, and they crave transparency. They want rawness, and I think that's a good trend, but that also explains why uh, a lot of them don't meander their way into a lot of churches. Thanks again, Fortolian, for chatting with me and being uh, honest and vulnerable in today's episode. Make sure you read the blog notes for this show and check out all the great stuff. I'll link there and uh, avail yourself of all those resources. But that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you just heard, be sure to follow the show on Twitter at underscore Ministry Minded. And be sure to go to graceupongrace.net. You can find a lot more resources and shows just like this one. Uh, you can also subscribe to the Ministry Minded podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and on Google Play. Thanks again to the Christian Standard Bible for sponsoring this show, and thank you as always for listening, commenting, and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings. Blessings.